0: Praise the Lord. Thanks for sticking it out and uh, coming back this afternoon. Uh, So thankful again for God's grace and so thankful for this passage of Scripture. We're quickly coming to the end of chapter number uh, 14. And after chapter number 14, uh, Jesus will depart and he'll keep uh, teaching the disciples, but he'll start to make his way out of Jerusalem along the brook uh, Kidron, which leads again up to the Mount of Olives uh, into, into the garden again of the Gethsemane. And this is, again, an amazing sermon. It's often called the Farewell Discourse of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, when, and the, the thing that makes it so significant is that we realize the context. You know, in just a few hours, the betrayer's going to come, Judas, with the soldiers. Jesus is going to be arrested. He's going to be taken. He's going to be put on a mock trial. He's going to be, again, beaten. And later in the next day, he is going to be crucified And the thing that makes it so unique is Jesus, all of his efforts go into really preparing and comforting the disciples. You know, he keeps talking about it is necessary, absolute necessary that he goes away. But the reason why it's so, again, necessary is because of all these promises. And he gives promise after promise after promise. And the uniqueness, again, of all these promises is they're based upon Jesus Christ going away. You know, promises such as, if I go away, you will do greater works than I have ever done. And, of course, the works that he's talking about is the Great Commission works, where we've seen millions of people in the last... Uh, 2,000 years that have come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But not only that, he says, If I go away, I go to prepare a place for you that you, where I am, you may be also. And we realize the basis of him preparing a place is his substitutionary atonement. But also he goes to heaven to prepare a place where we might be with him. He promises the coming again of another comforter, and that comforter happens to be the Holy Spirit. And there's a particular promise that's given to the disciples that he will teach them everything. He will bring everything into remembrance, again, that he taught them. And we see the accuracy that happens to begin even in the word of God through all of that. And, and uh, and you know, as we come to the end of this chapter, he has one more promise in these final verses. And the main promise is in verse number 27, where it says, Peace I leave to you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So Jesus is going away, and he says when he goes away, he's going to give something that's absolutely necessary, and the thing that's absolutely necessary is his peace. And we realize what he's talking about, he has to go away, he has to be, his death, his burial, his resurrection, his ascension, all has to take place, doesn't it? You know, we realize this is the basis of our of our salvation, the substitutionary atonement of Christ. Romans 5, 1 says, Therefore, we have been justified how? By, by faith. Faith in the substitutionary death of Christ. Therefore, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we have this peace, you know, that happens to be in our life. And we realize that we've been saved from the wrath of God. That hostility that existed between us and God is, is ended. He has brought right reconciliation, and we couldn't be closer to this great God that happens to be above. His anger, his wrath has been forever appeased, and God is for us and not against us. It's a glorious truth that is ours. But he brings out two aspects that are absolutely necessary if we're going to understand the greatness of this promise. And the greatness of this peace that he gives us. And one of them, again, happens to be that this peace is different from the world, isn't it? He says, Not as the world gives, gives do, do I give to you. In other words, it's of a different quality. And you look at the world that happens to be around us, and it's easy to see that there's no peace, isn't it? We see there's wars, there's rumors of wars, there's infighting, there's all this crime, there's all, again, this relational discord going on all the way around us. And it's easy to look at the world that happens to be around us and realize there is no peace. And people promise peace. And people think, you know, if I only have this, if I only have that, then I will have peace. If I only have enough money, you know, and all of a sudden, you know, I'll have that security, I'll have that stature, I'll have everything that I want. But when you look at it, some of the most unhappy people that happen to be in the world are, are some of the most wealthy. You know, and why? Because we were never meant to find our peace and wealth. You know, some people many times say, if I can only have this certain relationship, or if I can only have this relationship with my spouse, with my husband, with my wife, then I could find peace. The only problem is you will always be living with another sinner, and you are a sinner yourselves. You know, and people will try to find the ultimate, again, in a relationship. If I can only have this relationship, then I could find peace. And you'll never find peace there. You know, people say, if I can only rid this certain person of my life, they cause so much strife, so much angst. If I can just get rid of them. The problem with it is we have a mind, don't we? You know, and when we think of this person, it doesn't matter if they're present or not. You know, we feel that discord rise in us. And Why? Because we were meant to apply the great peace, the great forgiveness that happens at the beginning of Jesus Christ. And his peace, Jesus Christ's peace, is so different from the world because his peace is substantial. He is always with us. He will never leave us or forsake us. There's nothing that can ever separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. This is an absolute substantial peace, different from the world in quality and in substance, But not only that, he says, again, since he's giving this peace and on the basis of giving this peace, he says this, don't be troubled. You know, don't don't be afraid. Now think about it. Because why would you be afraid? Why would you be troubled in your, in, in, in your heart? Because so often we have so much anxiety, we are fretting so much, we're so angry at everything that happens to be going on. Well, why are we like that? Why are we so troubled? Why are we so afraid? And I think it's again be because of two reasons. One is, is that we view everything that happens to be around us as absolutely out of control. Right? It brings fear. It brings anxiety to our souls. There's nothing that happens to be in control. I just can't handle the things that happen to me again going on that happen to me again around us. And it causes fear. You know, and we also realize, you know, if I don't take control, you know, things are going to get out of control. But what if you believe beyond a shadow of a doubt that there was somebody so noble, so great, so wonderful so is so awesome, that was for you and not against you, that was in control of all of the events that happened at the beginning of your life, both good and bad. What if you believe that from the depths of your heart? What if you believed if, from the depths of your heart that not only was this one sovereign, not only was he in control of everything, but he had all wisdom, you know, you know, in the end analysis, when you get to heaven and he explains everything that he has done in your life, you're going to praise him and thank him for everything that he's done, for every adversity that has been brought in your life. What if you knew that beyond a shadow of a doubt? What if you knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was a great lover of your soul and he knew beyond a shadow of a doubt what was best for your soul? You know, what if, what if all of a sudden you had a faith and trust in a person that happened to be like that? Do you think that would be the great anxiety buster? Do you think that would give you a modicum or even a get a great level of peace that happens to be in your life? Because the greatness of this promise is not that I'm giving it, is it? The greatness of the promise is not that it's coming from a trusted friend. You know, I want to give you peace. I want to give you security. I want to give you encouragement. We realize that can only go so far. But the greatness of this promise is the one who is giving it. It's none other than Jesus Christ. You know, he's giving this promise that he's going to leave this peace, this substantial peace that happens to begin in our life. Now, that's just a primer on the peace of God. And the reason why I started off with a little primer on the peace of God is because we live with so much anxiety in our life, so much fretting that happens to begin in our life. And you can see it. You know, because we either respond in one of two ways. One is, again, we get frustrated and angry. We get upset with everything that happens to be going on. And you can feel that. You can feel that anger, that tension that happens to be in you, right? That leads, that, that, that's a cause from a lack of peace. You know, either that or we become hopeless. We become, again, in despair. We become depressed about the things that happen to be of our life. Nothing's going to ever change. There's no reason. There's no purpose. These things are just going to continue on. And you can see from that kind of viewpoint that there's a lack of peace that happens to be in our life. Now think about it. If Jesus Christ says this and he gives this promise, I am going to give you my peace, and Jesus Christ has given peace to those who are his, then the problem is not circumstances. The problem is not the people in our lives. The problem is not the situations and the tough and the tough things we go through. The problem happens to be the human heart, doesn't it? You know, that I lack, or I uh, I have chosen to lack, I have chosen to appropriate that peace that Jesus Christ has already brought to my heart and brought to my life. You know, and think of it. Because this promise, again, is given in a particular context, isn't it? Jesus says this, and this is why they're so troubled at the beginning of the chapter. They're so troubled, they're so disturbed, they're so afraid, because Jesus says this, I am going away. You know, and think of that, because I think a lot of times we think, you know, there would be nothing better than right now, with all the difficulties, all the trials, all the adversity that happened to begin in our life, all the things that we worry about and fret about, there would be nothing better than having the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in the here and now. And do you think that? Do you believe that? Because what I want us to do is I really want to help you you know, living in this fallen world, because no doubt, again, that fallenness has touched you. And I basically want you to see, again, a couple things uh, this afternoon of why we should have peace that Jesus is going away. You know, and the first reason why we should have peace that Jesus is going away is just basically this, is because of where he's going. You know, you can see that in verse number 28, because look at what he says in verse number 28 of our passage. He says, you, you, you heard me say, uh, say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you love me, you would, have, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to my father, for the father is greater than I. Now, think about it, because there is an amazing truth. An amazing truth that happens to begin and we all know this, we've all experienced this that happened to begin in our life. But when we are going through trials, when we are going through difficulties that happen to be in our life, it's always great to have people around us that will support us. You know, people that are close to us people who love us. We love that, right? You know, when there's a sickness or when there is a death, family, friends, close friends gather together. When somebody's going through maybe a major operation in the church of the Lord Jesus, people pray, people send notes, people come over, they hold the hands, again, of those, that certain person who is going through that trial that happened to be in their life. And what do we know? We know that we are encouraged. We know that we're strengthened. You know, even Jesus tells us that we ought to be busy in that one anothering ministry. And this is what makes this passage so mysterious in many ways. You know, if we really don't look at the promises and we really don't inculcate them, because he's telling them they are going to have a greater comfort, a greater rejoicing, a greater peace in the here and now, because he's going away. Because he's going to his father, that happened to begin in heaven. Well, how could that ever be? You know, and and he does give a couple reasons that oh. happened to begin in this in this in verse number twenty-eight, and they basically dovetail together. In other words, if you understand this one, you're going to understand this one, and you can see the reason why you should rejoice, that Jesus has gone away. And the reason, again, you rejoice is because there's such a peace that happens to come over your heart. And you can see that in verse number 28. It says, you've heard me say, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I am going to my Father. Now, let me just stop right there. Jesus says, I'm going away, and I'm coming back. And praise God, we rejoice in that fact, don't we? You know Jesus is coming again. You know we shall ever be for uh, be with him when he comes back, and that's that's our firm expectation. Jesus is going to come back, but that's not the main truth that he's teaching there. The truth that he is teaching is basically this: I am going away, and because I am going to my Father, here it is. You should rejoice. Now think about it. Why would we ever rejoice that Jesus is going away? And this is where we think so. Um, selfishly, if I can put it that way. We think about ourselves. We think about the comfort that we would have if uh, Jesus was present. But think of boy, we would rejoice. What was, what was uh, Jesus' whole mission? Jesus' whole mission was to give his life as a perfect sacrifice of sin, rise from the dead, and ascend to his Father in heaven. That was his whole goal. That was his great longing to be with the Father above. And here's the amazing thing. It's realized. You know, and, and what you, that should cause in each one of us, if we love Jesus and we recognize the totality of His sacrifice and everything that he's done. It should cause us to rejoice that he has gone to his father. I mean, don't we really do that, that, that even in our own lives? You know, our lives are, are such a mix of pain and joy at the same time. And sometimes those things can be mixed in the same thing. And one of the ways that they're mixed in the same thing happens to be, again, a death of a believer. Isn't it true? You know, there's that pain. We realize there's that separation. There's that anxiety that happens to begin in our hearts. But every death of a believer should be bittersweet, shouldn't it? You know, the bitterness, there's pain, there's separation. We love them. We, care. we cared about them. We enjoyed that blessing of their presence in our life. But it should be sweet, because what's the great goal of the Christian life? The great goal of the Christian life is what? To be with Jesus, isn't it? You know, that's the great, to walk by sight and not by faith, to be in his presence again forevermore. You know, we often say things, things like that. They're so much better off. You know, and that becomes very clicheous, but, but it is truth. Or, or we wouldn't want them back. And that becomes a cliche, but it's an absolute truth. You know, all of their suffering, all of their sorrows, all of their struggles are all over. But more than that, they are with Jesus Christ. And it should cause us, our hearts, to rejoice. And in fact, all of our services that we ever have are to prepare one another for death. Isn't it true? We're here this Sunday to hear these truths to cause us to persevere, to bring us to that point. where, Closer to that point, that we're going to be in Jesus' presence. I mean, that's the whole goal, isn't it? You know, not only to live well, but to die well, trusting in the Lord Jesus. So think about it. Here's Jesus Christ, and he's accomplished his mission. You know, he's provided full and free salvation for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Shouldn't shouldn't we be thankful that this tells us beyond a shadow of a doubt that he's fulfilled his mission? You know He's gone back to that one place that he wants to go back, and that happens to be again his father. Now, there is a second reason that ties into this of why we should have just so much joy and peace that Jesus is, is back in the presence of his father. And just read the, at the end of verse number 28 because listen to what he says. If, if you loved me, you, we would have rejoiced because I am going to the father. And then he says this, for he explains it, the father is greater than I you know, and when you look at that last clause there, he says this, the Father is greater than me. Now think about that. Because the cults have a field day with this verse that happens begin right here, such as the Jehovah's Witnesses. Uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses deny the doctrine of the Trinity. They teach that Jesus was a Um, uh, was an exalted creature, you know, the highest of creation, but he was not God. And where do they take that? Well, when when you look at the Trinity, the Trinity teaches that there's only one God, but three distinct persons, right? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. All are, here it is, co-equal and co-eternal. They say, well, how can it be co-equal? Right here it says the Father is what? Greater than I. Now, here's the thing you have to know about the cults. The cults love to cherry-pick little... Little, little verses or little phrases that happen to begin in verses and make a big deal about that, you know, while, while ignoring the rest of the corpus that happens to begin of Scripture, such as John one one, right? You know, in the beginning was a word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Such as all the seven I am statements, such as even uh, Thomas's profession, you know, of Jesus Christ. You are what? You are my Lord and my God. You know, and all these things that happen to be right there. But we, as the people of God, have to look at a portion of Scripture, and we just can't throw it out, other portions of Scripture. We have to explain this one. You know, what does he mean by this, the Father father is greater than I? And it's basically this. When you look at Jesus Christ in his perfect humanity, he gives up the independent use, again, of all of his attributes all of his godness you know to the father's disposal he becomes obedient he even calls the father my god in his perfect humanity right and right here we see that he's that 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 he worships the father that happens to be again above but after after all of these events take place here it is he's given back his former glory In fact, in that passage that happens to begin in Philippians where we're told, you know, that he was made in the form of a servant. He came as a form of a servant and he became obedient even to the point of death. It talks about his exaltation after his death and resurrection. Philippians chapter 2 and verse number 9, beginning there, it says, Therefore God has highly exalted him, speaking of Christ, and bestowed upon him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And he's given a name above every name. And let me just say this. It's not like he didn't have this name before. But here he is given that exalted status now as the God man. You know, and every knee should bow to him. Now, think about that. Because here's the question. He's bringing it out that I'm leaving my peace with you. You know, and here's the question, why should it so encourage us that Jesus has his former glory, he's gone back to the Father that happened to be in heaven, and it's basically this, there's nobody greater than Jesus Christ. You know, he sends, he's back to, at the right hand of the Father that happens to be in, uh, on, on high, he's the one who intercedes and brings these requests to the Father, they're always brought through the Lord Jesus Christ. You, you know, think of it, there's nobody greater, there's no one more authoritative than the Lord Jesus Christ. And this is the one that's for us and not against us. This is the one who says, "No one will snatch you out of my hand." And think of it, because what is in jeopardy in our life? And the answer is absolutely nothing of eternal value is ever in jeopardy that happens to be in our life. We're in the Savior's hand. You know, nothing can come into our house that uh, into our life that He has not planned, and He will give us the necessary grace to go through whatever He's called to. So when you look at the exalted position of the Lord Jesus Christ today, it should be the great anxiety buster. It should give us, again, such an overwhelming peace as we recognize who he is and what he has done in our life. But let me just give you quickly, again, one other reason, you know, why we can have peace because Jesus has gone away. And that is, again, because Jesus has gone away, he sends another, doesn't he? And look at verse number 29, because he says this, And now, I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. And we've mentioned this again and mentioned this again time and time again. We cannot imagine... Anything better than being in the presence, again, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we realize that one day we will. We'll have the fruition, again, of our salvation. We're going to be either absent from the body and present with the Lord, or we're going to be raptured in disguise to be with him forever. In that, here here it is, perfect state of humanity before this great deity. And we'll no longer walk by him. Here it is. By faith, but we will walk by sight. But think of it, because in this day and age, here here it is, our salvation is secured, but our salvation has not been totally realized. And during this interim period, this is what he's saying, it is more necessary for me to go away because of who am who I going to send? And who I'm gonna send is the Holy Spirit. And here's the Holy Spirit's gonna come. He's gonna dwell in our hearts. He's gonna awaken faith that happens to begin in us. He's gonna take these words, these living words, and make them active so much so that they change and alter the course that happens to begin of our life. And we realize that's all his ministry, right? We realize that. And many times I think we undervalue, where we do not see the, uh, the magnitude of the Spirit's work in our lives, so, that, so, so much so that we make much of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it should bring such comfort and peace. And think of the comfort and peace right here in this verse, because I'm going to read it again and see if you can catch it. Because he says, And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. So Jesus being the God-man, Here it is. He received direct revelation from God the Father. He relays it to these individuals. And what does he mean right here? He says, I've told you before it takes place so that you may believe. And certainly, again, he's talking about his death, burial, and resurrection, isn't it? You know, after his death, after his burial, after his resurrection, after his ascension that happened to begin in heaven, they will know beyond a shadow of a doubt this was all planned out by Jesus. This was all planned out by God the Father. This came by his doing. And it's amazing, isn't it, that God can use the greatest evil that has ever been done to bring the greatest and eternal good to our souls. It should encourage us. But let me just say this. I think more is being meant right here when he says these words. So when it does take place. Certainly, it's talking about the sacrifice of Christ and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it's also talking about one of the main themes of chapter 14, one of the main themes of chapter 15. And that is the coming of the Spirit. Because it's through the coming of the Spirit that the lights will go on for the disciples, right? They think they trust Christ. They think they know Christ. They think they're aware of the full plan of God. And he's he's told them over and over and over again what that, that plan is. But here the Holy Spirit would come in their lives and it would just be like the light going on. All the furniture's already been there, but they haven't been able to see it. And the light goes on and all of a sudden it's like, ah, I get it. I see the necessity of his death. I see the necessity of his resurrection. I see the necessity of his ascension that happens to be again in heaven. It all makes sense. And let me tell you, isn't it the same with us? Isn't that the same ministry of the Spirit of God that happens again in our life? The gospel was preached to us, and all of a sudden, for the first time in our life, we felt that conviction of sin like we never felt that conviction of sin. We realized beyond a shadow of a doubt that we deserved an eternity in hell fire, that sin is a big deal before this awesome and glorious God. And we felt that weight of sin like we've never felt it before. We were brought low. We were humbled. But in the moment of that humility, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit, convicting of sin, of, uh, sin the, the Holy Spirit also showed us the answer, didn't he? You know, that Jesus Christ really did come, that really, Jesus Christ really did die on a cross, that Jesus really did rise from the grave, proving beyond a shadow of a doubt that the penalty had been paid in all and as we realize that, we're, we're, here we are down in the depths, and we're, we're brought to this exalted status of realizing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. And here's the amazing thing He keeps again holding us, He keeps causing us to endure. You know, and here's the, and now and, and I want us to realize the key to the peace of God, the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ, is really meditating on these truths. You know, one of the fruits of the Spirit, I mean, remember, the Holy Spirit's always directing us to Christ, always directing us to, towards Christ. And one of the fruits of the Spirit, nine aspects of that one fruit of the Spirit that's talked about in Galatians chapter five and verse number 22 is peace, right? So an outcome, a fruit of truly recognizing all that Jesus Christ has done for us is the peace, regardless of what's going on in our life. So when you look at a Christian, who has peace in their heart that's walking in the joy of the Lord, we're not not looking at the circumstances they happen to be in their life. Their circumstances might have an upheaval. Their relationships might be in discord. But the reason why they're able to walk in this peace is because of what Jesus Christ has done for them. And that work is applied by the Holy Spirit of God. And think about it. If that's true, if that is true, if that is true, think about it. How much time, how much mental energy do we give to knowing this God of our salvation? Knowing Jesus Christ through the scripture. And how much mental energy do we give on meditating on all the difficulties, all the problems, all the anxieties that happen to be in our life? You know, if this is the balm of our soul to recognize all that Jesus Christ, again, is for us, how much? How, how much do we spend, you know, intentionally taking our mind off these things, these problems, these difficulties? Not, to, not, not that we don't want to handle them in a godly way, but take our minds off them and put it intentionally on the cross and remind us all of what Jesus Christ has done. It's amazing as we go back here how we're able to handle them in such a way that glorifies God. I mean, think of it. Because this is a promise that's given, isn't it? My peace I give to you! Done deal! Right? And it's Jesus' peace. Now think about it. Can you think of anyone in the scriptures, can you think of anyone in human history that more had more upheaval in his life than Jesus Christ? And here's the second question. Can you think of anyone who had more peace, a constancy of glorifying the Father, a constancy of really wanting to do his will and carrying out that, that will than, than Jesus Christ? And here's the promise. My peace I give to you. Uh, Arthur Pink writes about the glory of this promise be- because it's made by Jesus Christ. And this is what he says. This was the personal peace which he had enjoyed here on earth. He was never ruffled by circumstances and never resisted the will of the Father. He was ever in a state of most perfect amity with God a peace with God. The peace here. Uh, the, the peace he here promised his disciples was a peace which filled his own heart, and as a result, and as a result of the unbroken communion with the Father. That's the peace that God promises. You know, and no wonder over in Philippians chapter four, when it's talking about this peace of God that's been given us, this peace of Christ is in the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. Will guard your hearts. It's not saying life's going to be easy. Life's going to be grand. Will guard your hearts and your minds. Here it is, in Christ Jesus. You look at a world that happens to be around us, and they have no category for peace that the believers have. In the midst of turmoil, in the midst, again, of external turmoil, they can't understand the Christian. We can understand because we have the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ. And whatever you're going through today, it is this peace that truly guards our heart. It's the peace that changes us. Oh, to know the truth. Jesus Christ and him crucified, yea, risen from the grave and at the right hand of the Father. There's no greater peace that can be brought to our souls. Let's bow our hearts in a moment of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. Your very amazing goodness. We thank you for this passage of Scripture. We thank you for this wonderful promise that's been given to us, Lord. We realize, Lord, that we have been given that peace. Now, Lord, we just have to live in light of it. Now, Lord, we just have to appropriate that peace that has already been given to us through the sacrifice, through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ and that this Christ is forever with us in our lives. I just pray, Lord, whatever people are going through, individuals here at Emmanuel Baptist Church, I ask, Lord, that they would concentrate, they would meditate, Lord, on the truths of Christ. Him crucified, yea, risen from the grave, nothing can ever separate us from the love of which is in Christ Jesus. We thank you. We come in his name this afternoon. Amen. Brother.